to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and happy 2017, everyone. I hope that your year is going great so far and that you're just tackling those New Year's resolutions with gusto. And never fear if they're going a little bit slower than you anticipated, or heck, if you've fallen off the bandwagon completely, that's okay. It is never too late to get up, dust yourself off, and try again. And speaking of New Year's resolutions, New Year doing things right, there are so many events happening just in January and February alone that can help you get your animation career right on track. The first one is happening this weekend. Women in Animation will be participating in Women's March Los Angeles this Saturday, January 21st at 9 a.m. It's going to start at the Central Library. The march begins at 10 a.m. and travels a mile to City Hall. For information on that, you can visit their website, www.womeninanimation.org. Next up, the 44th Annie Awards will be happening on Saturday, February 4th at UCLA's Royce Hall in Los Angeles, California, and the ceremony will begin at 7 p.m. This is an amazing event. I went the past two years. It is awesome. The show is great. The buffet is great. It's black tie. You get an opportunity to meet all of your animation heroes. I highly recommend you getting a ticket to the award show, but if you're not able to go, they will be streaming the event live. So for more information on that, to purchase your ticket or just to find out more about the show, visit www.annieawards.org. And next up, Fan Alley is presenting the second annual Ground Zero Animation Expo. And this year it's even bigger than last year. It will be held in Anaheim and it's going to be two days this year, Saturday, February 18th and Sunday, February 19th from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. both days. This is a great event. Not only is it a chance for you to see amazing work in the artist alley, but there will be a number of panels as well as workshops. And I'm very happy to announce that three of my colleagues from the Loud House will be there. Background painter Lauren Patterson will be in attendance, along with storyboard artist Jordan Cock, who will be hosting a workshop on Saturday, and production manager Sean Genka, along with the Animation Network creator and friend of the podcast Chris Wimberly, will both be co-hosting a panel on Sunday, and Chris will also be hosting a second panel on Sunday as well, so make sure to check them out. And former guest Chelsea Kenna will also be on a panel, and future guest Morgan Gill will also be hosting a workshop. So this is going to be an amazing event, and I hope that all of you have an opportunity to go. Visit shopfanalley.com for information as well as to purchase your tickets. After that, Saturday, February 25th, the Animation Network will be hosting their second annual Mixer, and this one promises to be even better than the one last year. It's going to be at 7 p.m. at Pop Secret Gallery in Eagle Rock, and this year, not only will you have an opportunity to meet animation professionals and the lovely and talented Animation Network crew, they'll also have refreshments, raffle giveaways, 
breakout talks, door prizes, and there's going to be a professional figure drawing session from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. So make sure to check out their website for that at theanimationnetwork.org to get your tickets. And finally, I know it's not happening until March, but just mark it on your calendar. WonderCon will be back in Anaheim. You guys, I am super excited about WonderCon. I've never been to WonderCon, and this will be my very first year going. I know that many of you out there have gone. I have heard your stories. I have seen your photos. I'm really looking forward to it. So make sure to mark your calendar for WonderCon. It promises to be amazing. So make sure to check that out. It's happening March 31st through April 2nd. So visit www.comic-con.org WCA for more information. And finally, I know that all of these events are Los Angeles centric because I'm in Los Angeles and these are all the different groups that I'm a part of. But if you are in another state or another country and if there is an amazing event that you want people to know about, let me know on Twitter. Let me know on Facebook. Send me an email over at contact at theanimatedjourney.com because we're all on this animated journey together and I want everybody to know about as many amazing events as possible. And last, but certainly not least, I want to tell all of you about a very amazing opportunity. The Nickelodeon Writing Program is currently accepting submissions. And this year, they're accepting their submissions online. And they also have a list of all of the spec scripts that they are currently accepting. Now, what does this mean? If you've always dreamed of being a television writer, if you want to get your foot in the door, if you want a full-time paid job in Burbank, California for a year, you need to apply to this program. It is an amazing opportunity. We have several people on the show. I'm currently on the Loud House that have gone through the writing program. It's a really awesome program, you guys. So for more information to see all the rules, guidelines, all the fun legal things you need to know so that you can turn in an amazing television script, visit www.nickwriting.com and you can find out more about that. And as always, every single one of the links that I mentioned today, I'm going to mention on the website. So when you visit www.theanimatedjourney.com and click on episode 36, you will see all of the links to all of these events, and you'll also see them in the show notes in iTunes. So make sure to check all of those things out today. And speaking of what's going on, what's going on today is that I had the wonderful opportunity to speak with an artist that I greatly admired and I had wanted on the show for some time, Mallory Carlson. Mallory is an alum of the Nickelodeon artist program and after completing the program she was hired as a background designer on pig goat banana cricket she has also done character design for studios such as disney and she has done children's book illustrations mallory is an amazing person and an amazing artist and i know that you're going to love hearing what she has to say today so without further ado i present episode 36 interview with Mallory Carlson. Hello everyone, my guest today is Mallory Carlson. 
and Mallory is no stranger to the world of art. Her previous freelance clients include Disney as well as Cartoon Network. She has illustrated several children's books, and recently she worked on Pig, Goat, Banana, Cricket for Nickelodeon. Mallory, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So I always love to start with origin stories, and I found a really good origin story from you from the Nickelodeon Artist Program, and I really just want to deep dive into it. It mentions that your first memory is drawing all over your brother's bedroom with a crayon at age three, and then eating the crayon. And I wanted to to elaborate on this story. Is this true? It is. It is true. It was on his uh, bedroom door. And I just remember that there was a there was a crayon by his bedroom door. And so I picked it up and drew all over his door. And then I ate the crayon because why not, I guess. And uh, <laughs> that's my first memory. So I guess I've always gotten really into my art. That is an amazing first memory. <laughs> it literally feels like you mastered art. And then by eating the crayon, you absorbed all of art's essence. <laughs> yes, I I would love to think that that is what I was doing because otherwise I was just a kid eating a crayon. <laughs> As many kids are want to do, but for you, see, it, it turned out all right. And they're so colorful. Yes, <laughs> they, they couldn't help it. <laughs> very good, very good. So from those beginnings, that's. That's pretty great. So from there, what were some of your influences as a kid? Do you remember some of your favorite shows or movies or, you know, books and comics that really got you into art? Yeah, I uh growing up in the being a kid in the 90s, I have to say that that Disney was a huge influence on me because I just loved every single Disney movie that came out and I I just wanted to draw the characters from all the movies and I would go home and draw Simba and and I just was really I was really influenced by a lot of those movies from Disney's 2D period in the 90s and also it's really strange but in the library where I grew up they had like a section of how to draw certain things and I was kind of obsessed with those so I think I checked out how to draw puppies about a hundred times because <laughs> I just wanted to learn how to draw a puppy because they were so cute to me in the books that I, I wanted to draw something that looked like that. So I was definitely influenced by by those. And uh, I just kind of would draw like characters and cartoons that I watched. Like I loved uh, the anything on Nickelodeon. Like I loved All Real Monsters and I loved Hey Arnold. Like Hey Arnold was was one of the first shows that really made me want to get into animation because it, it sounds kind of silly, but when Hey Arnold came out, I was in fourth grade and Arnold was in fourth grade at, in the show. And so I, I just remember thinking that it was so cool that he was the same age as me. And so <laughs> I, uh, I just loved Hey Arnold and I would like draw the characters and, and practice making them look like the show. And I just pretty much drew anything that I could on any surface I could. And I guess that love never stopped. So I just continued to do it into adulthood. <laughs> that is fantastic. And was Hey Arnold the show that 
you said that it was the show that really got you into animation. Was that also the show that helped you realize, oh, adults do this as a job. I could have this as a job. I think uh, that might have been when it's about when it started, but I probably didn't realize fully that I could do it as a job until probably high school or, or so when I started to really think about, you know, going to college and, and what I wanted to do when I when I grew up and realizing that, you know, and like Pixar movies were so beautiful and I was just I just was in love with anything in animation and then in high school when I when I realized that certain schools had animation as a career track, I, I just knew what I wanted to do. I, it wasn't a question. I, I knew I wanted to get into animation. And I have met a great many people who've gone to Cal State Fullerton, and they've said awesome things about it. How did you decide that Cal State Fullerton was the school for you? It was kind of random. I was looking into schools, and I wasn't really sure where I wanted to go. There are so many great art schools out there, and I definitely looked into um, some of the art schools, but... Unfortunately, my budget maybe wasn't, didn't fit with certain schools, and I knew that I, I couldn't really afford to go to a school like CalArts or Art Center. And so I was looking into other schools that had, you know, animation as a major. And at the time when I was going into college, Cal State Fullerton was one of the only Cal States that had animation as a major. It might have been the only one. I'm not positive about that, but, but I didn't know about it until my friend from high school was actually going to Cal State Fullerton and she told me and then I looked it up and immediately as soon as I looked up their program I just went oh that's where I'm going that's fantastic and it was a it was a great school I'm really really happy with my choice because I'm sure there's a ton of great art schools out there and Cal State Fullerton was just a really great experience for me, and the teachers were fantastic, and the classes were amazing. We had this one class, uh, Animal Drawing, where we got to go every weekend. It was on Saturdays. Uh, we got to go to either like the zoo or to a farm uh, to draw animals, and even one class, the teacher took us to an equestrian center where she has a horse, and we got to paint bones on the side of her horse. And oh, then wow. we would watch after we finished the skeleton on the side of the horse, the horse ran around so we could watch the skeleton in motion as the horse ran around. It was, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. That's a really good way to learn. I mean, you're literally just seeing it right in front of you saying this is exactly how this works. Yeah, because I think that animal anatomy can be, it can be tricky because even though they have similar structures to their legs and their their arms well front legs as we do the proportions of them are, are different and so seeing them move I think makes it a little clearer how that works so that even if you don't end up actually being an animator and actually animating anything move you still need to know how those joints and those bones move anatomically correct so that way you can draw your character looking uh, proportionate. So you went to Cal State, you got to draw various animals, you learned all about the various techniques of animation. So then when you graduated, I saw that 
did you go right away into freelancing and teaching or like what was the transition like between you going to school, learning in school and then getting your first couple of jobs? It was kind of a a scary process as I'm sure anyone who's graduated from school can attest is now what do I do? Now that school's done and I have to go out into this real world. And uh, I think actually at first when I when I graduated, I, I kind of wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do, which sounds strange because I had been so sure my whole life. And then when the, the big moment came, I wasn't quite <laughs> sure anymore. And I knew I wanted to do something in art, but I think the thing about art is so many different avenues of art interest me. So I was kind of struggling with what interests me the most. And that was a hard decision for me because I went through a period of time where I really loved sculpting. I took a sculpting, a maquette making class at Cal State Fullerton. And I, I really love sculpting. I, I think sculpting is so much fun. It's such a tactile experience. And I, for a little while, wanted to be a toy designer and I don't know. I kept coming back to drawing though. Like I I love sculpting and it's really fun and I still want to do it as a hobby, but I kind of realized I wanted to, to draw for a living or paint because those are the two things that I just am drawn to the most. So I think that for a couple years after school, I was actually kind of just figuring out exactly what I wanted to do. And I say that because I think that it's important to know that if you got out of school recently or if you are going to be getting out of school soon and you don't know exactly which direction you want to take, that's totally okay. Because <laughs> I, I kind of struggled with that and I, I thought that I should know exactly where I'm supposed to go and I, I didn't really. And it took a little bit of playing with different things and seeing what I liked and, and what maybe I liked more to kind of figure it out. And so that's completely fine. Everybody has a different path to take. So after that, I actually kind of felt like I needed to take a couple more classes because it had been a couple years since school ended. And I had done like some freelance work for people, but very small scale freelance. And so I took a couple online classes and um, I took two classes with the School of Visual Storytelling um, with Will Terry and Jake Parker. And then I signed up for the Oatly Academy for painting drama. And I think that those classes really helped me because they really helped me to kind of focus on building my skills and and not even worrying so much about what path I'm going to take in my career, but just building my skills. Because even if you get out of school, learning never ends. Uh, I think that as artists, we're perpetually learning new things and perpetually growing and, and improving our skills and getting better. So those classes definitely helped me to get my skills up a little higher. And just being around students who are so passionate about art and animation was such an invaluable experience. And I'm so grateful. So then my first big freelance gig was with Disney. And I got that through Twitter, actually. Really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was very weird. And I thought it was a joke. 
And I thought it was, I was like, this is kind of a mean joke because this, this would be really cool. <laughs> and it's like, no, this it is was. a scam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was not a joke. And it, so I did some freelance character design for Disney Junior. And it was so much fun and dream come true. I was just smiling nonstop <laughs> while working. And that was, that was a great experience. After that, I think I did a I did a children's book after that, and then shortly after that, I submitted for the Nick Artist program and then got into the Nick Artist program, which was an amazing experience, and I am so grateful that I got to be a part of that. That is awesome, and we will discuss the Nick Artist program in length, but I want to unpack some of the uh, other details about your story that you mentioned, because you touched on a lot of really good points. One of them being your realization of, oh, I want to gain even more skills. I'm going to take more courses now that I'm done with school. Because I know for me, and I know I'm not the only one, sometimes there can be this feeling of, I've graduated from college. I have a degree. I should already know art as if the totality of art can be learned in three to four years. And it's great that you realized, you know what? I could always learn more because that's true for everybody. We can always be learning more. So I wanted to find out from you how you chose uh, Will Terry and Jake Parker and the Oatley Academy, because there are so many different programs out there. How did you parse through all of them to figure out which ones would work best for you? It was kind of random again. I seem to have a lot of these random experiences, but I was contracted by somebody to illustrate their children's book. Um, just a private person wanted their children's book illustrated and they had contacted me. And it, I had never, at that point, I had never illustrated a children's book before. So I was, I did what anybody would do. And I went to Google And I said, how do you illustrate a children's book? Because I wasn't totally sure. And I came across Will Terry's website. And in his website, he had a lot of great information for artists. And he's a children's book illustrator, fantastic one. And so he was starting up the School of Visual Storytelling when I happened to be coming across his website. And the first class was how to illustrate children's books. So I definitely wanted to take that. <laughs> and I did. And it was, a, it was a great class. Will and Jake are, are great guys. And they uh, were really very helpful. And I learned a lot from their class. And so after their, their class was over, I was kind of itching to take more classes because this whole online school thing, I didn't really know that much about it. I didn't really know of that many schools online. And so uh, one of the one of my classmates in that class was also taking a class at the Oatly Academy, so he recommended the Oatly Academy to me, and that's that's when I found OA, and then got to take the amazing painting drama one and painting drama two, and I just learned so so much from those classes, and I feel like they really brought my my skill set up a lot of notches because Chris is just such a talented guy. And so 
caring about his students and he wants to see them grow and and challenge themselves and he's not afraid to put challenges on his students and I really appreciate that. That is excellent. And I like that he just went out and decided, you know what? I'm going to figure out how to do a children's book. Let's just find out. Because <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, sometimes ego can get in the way and you can go, I'll just figure it out myself. I'm not going to ask anybody. And that's that's the worst thing you could do. So it's it's really cool that you decided, I'm just going to find out from the professionals how this is done. And, you know, it worked. You learned a lot of great information. Yes, definitely. I think that Taking advantage of other people's information is a great thing because there are so many people who know so much. So, you know, even when I was at Nick, even when I was working, I would ask my fellow background painters, like how they would handle, you know, a certain thing or um, how, what kind of color you might pick for a certain scene because I want to just learn from everyone. Uh, <laughs> so any knowledge that I can gain, I, I want that. <laughs> that is awesome. And I want to ask one other thing before we get into the Nick Artist Program, which is you said that you were contacted by Disney via Twitter. And social media, as everyone I am sure is well aware, especially if you're listening to a podcast, social media is so vitally important. And so as far as your social media presence goes, did you have a did you have a plan of how you were going to present yourself online? Because I've seen your different sites and they're all very, very good. So are you one of those people that, you know, every day you were doing different things or, you know, how did you manage that so that more people could see what you were doing? I did not have a plan. <laughs> I didn't I don't even I still don't even really feel like I know how social media works but I think that the thing with social media is the key is to just post your art and post it regularly because we live in an age with social media that I think all artists should definitely take advantage of because it's amazing. You can get your work seen by so many more, such a wider range of people than ever. Because before, if you wanted a someone from a studio to see your work, you would have to mail them a portfolio. And now, if you are on social media, you never know who could be looking at your at your site. And so I definitely recommend, it can be a little bit overwhelming. So I would recommend picking maybe two or three that you make sure that you keep those updated. The only thing that I would say that I tried to live by for my social media was to kind of keep in mind what your social media looks like if an art director were to look at it. So I probably keep it a little bit on the professional side. Like, of course, I definitely like talk to people and chat and and all that great stuff, especially Twitter is so good for that. I think Twitter was one of the ones that I had such a fun time on because just got to meet people that are interested in art and do beautiful work and connecting with them was really, really fun for me. But I always, you know, tried to keep it professional. So that way, if an art director came across, they would see, you know, my, my sketches or my finished paintings and they would 
could see my artwork and they could get a good grasp of what I do. And that would probably be the only thing I really tried to keep to. That makes perfect sense. And that's, that's good to know because I've had very fortunate, had the opportunity to talk to a number of people and some of them are on social media very actively and others not so much, but the ones that are very active, I'm always just curious, you know, what is it that you're doing? Because I've heard stories of people getting jobs through social media and you're one of those people, you got a job through social media. And I know that people out there, whenever they hear that, they think, I want to get a job through social media too. So it's important to know that A, that may not necessarily happen all the time, but B, if it does happen, here's how that happened. And it sounds like it happened for you because, you know, you kept it professional and on the up and up. Yeah, I just, uh, I wanted it to, it's strange because part of the thing that I love about social media is how you can reblog other people's work or share pretty much whatever you want. But I, I just wanted to make sure that if somebody went to my Twitter, they would be able to find my work easily. I didn't want them to have to scroll through other things that I've posted in order to find my work. I wanted it to just be there. So I didn't want to have to have them scroll through. Like I, I love a good reaction gif as much as the next person. But if an art director came to my site and had to scroll through a lot of reaction gifs, maybe it would, they wouldn't continue on and look at my, at my artwork if it was too far below. So I just wanted to make sure that my art was visible. And I don't think that even if you don't get a job from social media, that doesn't mean that social media isn't important. Because even if you don't get a job, you never know who will have heard of you when then applying for something else. Maybe you apply for a job and they're like, oh, yeah, you know what, I think I ran across their Tumblr. And then they already might have kind of an idea of what your artwork looks like. And that's never a bad thing. So I think that no matter what, it's really important to have a social media presence. I agree. And I don't have any witty or pithy transitions. So now we're just going to get into <laughs> Nickelodeon Artist Program, because I think this program is great. And you're, you are the first person that I've ever spoken to on the podcast who has gone through the program and then was subsequently hired and worked on a show. And a lot of people have applied for the program. I know a lot of listeners are very interested in it. So how did you find out about the program? And how did you get your materials together so that you could apply and then get accepted into it? I heard about the Nick Artist Program. I'm actually not even really sure exactly where somewhere on the internet it might have been on twitter or some social media I'm, I'm not positive but that was my third year applying was the year that I won the program so it wasn't just like my first time going into it so if that helps anyone out there because sometimes it can feel disheartening sometimes to apply for things and then you know if you don't make semifinalist or anything, you might think like that your work's not good enough. And that doesn't mean it at all. It just means that there are a lot of really great people applying and you just got to keep working at it and apply next year and take every opportunity that you can. And, and so my theory was that I was just going to keep getting 
better, improving my skill sets, painting and, and drawing as much as I could and apply every single year until I either worked in the industry or got in the program. <laughs> so, so it was my third year applying and I was not even expecting anything. I had never made semifinalist or finalist ever before. So when I got semifinalist, I was so excited because I just couldn't even believe it. And then uh, when I got called that I was a finalist, I was in a state of shock and I got to go to Nick and an interview. And, you know, I was just really grateful for the whole experience, like getting to go to Nick and, and see the incredible studio that they got to work in every day and meet all these amazing people. And so while I really wanted to win, I was not expecting to be picked because there were, I believe, 10 artists in the finals and only five people ended up getting chosen. So I tried not to get my hopes up too high. <laughs> but I would just say that if anyone out there applies to the program or is thinking about it, do it. Definitely do it. Apply. And what I did to get ready was really just keep working on my work, on my on my artwork. And every year I I had a whole new portfolio to submit. And it was always better than the year before because we're constantly improving. And uh, definitely Chris Oatley's classes really helped a lot of my work that I did for those classes made it into the portfolio and just keep working. And also a thing that's helpful would be if you look at people who have previously been in the program or who work in animation, check out what their portfolio looks like. And it can kind of give you a good, a good feel for what kind of portfolios uh, they would be looking for. So I definitely did that. <laughs> I definitely looked at a lot of people's websites that had um, worked in animation and who had been in the Nick Artist program. And um, I just wanted to see what a professional portfolio looked like so I could kind of gauge how mine was doing in comparison. That is great advice. And I like that you didn't give up. I like that you didn't say, oh, I didn't get it. You know, the very first year, I guess that's it. I like that you thought, no, I'm going to just keep applying until... I'll either get this or I'll get a job. One of those things will eventually happen if I just keep working at it. Yeah, you just, you really never know what is uh, going to be, I don't know if I would say like big break because I feel like there are lots of opportunities that end up leading you on a path in your artistic career. Um, but don't ever let an opportunity pass by just because maybe you're nervous because I definitely was. <laughs> um, I, I think I submitted the last day every single year because I was constantly fixing things until the last day. <laughs> I, I would look at a piece and think, you know what, I could, I could fix that part. And then I would fix it. And then I, I wouldn't submit till the last day because um, I was so nervous. And so if you're nervous or scared, just go for it. Because the worst thing that can happen is you don't get it and then you can just try again. And um, yeah, I think persistence is uh, is definitely a, a good thing. And don't let it get you down because it does not mean your work is not good if you 
don't make it. It just means that there are a lot of really talented people and you're probably one of them. <laughs> here, here folks, just, just keep on keeping on. So that is, that is yep. wonderful. So once you got in and you're, you know, you're in the program, you're in the thick of it. What is the program actually like? Is there a day to day? Is there a schedule of events? How does it work? Yeah, it was amazing. I am so incredibly grateful that I got to experience it because um, I had never worked in studio before. Um, the freelance work that I did previously was um, from home. So uh, I was smiling every single day. I, I felt like my face just never stopped smiling because I was so excited to be there. And but there was um, definitely a nervousness too. And so I really loved the Nick Artist program because it felt kind of like a, a fellowship in a way. I mean, it is a fellowship, so that makes sense. Um, where I felt like okay to ask questions. Of course, it's always okay to ask questions, but I was learning. So I could ask people, how does the animation pipeline work? Because I didn't really know. I didn't really know how it goes from a story to being a final animation. Like, how does that work in, in the pipeline? And so I got to ask questions to people who have worked in the industry for a long time and, and people who really know how everything works. And, and it was just such a, a great experience. So uh, for the first uh, month, I would say we, we did not work on a production. We were just kind of getting introduced to the program and we had meet and greets with a lot of like show creators and um, people at Nick. And it was so awesome just getting to ask questions to these amazing artists that I admire. And, and then about 30 days in, we got assigned to a production and the production that we each got assigned to a different one. And I had mentioned in my finalist interview, they had asked me what show I would like to work on if I got into the program. And I had said Pig, Goat, Banana, Cricket. And I don't know if they kept that in mind, but that is the show that they put me on. So I was pretty excited <laughs> because I just loved that show. I thought it was so beautifully designed and um, I just I just really wanted to work on it. So I got assigned to Pig, Goat, Banana, Cricket and I moved over to that production crew. And then there definitely was still a schedule, uh, but it was a combination of things that I did for things I did for the Nick artist program. Like we had the, our weekly social media post and we still had meet and greets and we still had events that we did together. So we could all come together and, and talk about how we've been doing. And, and then um, I would also have meetings with our art director on pig goat banana cricket. Uh, and he was my mentor for the program. So I got to meet with him weekly although it was more than weekly because his office was right next door and it was, it was great. And I got to just ask him a bunch of questions and get advice from him on how I was doing and uh, slowly do a little bit of work for the show. And uh, it was, it was just a fantastic experience. I loved it so much. 
What was some of the best pieces of advice that you got from your mentor? I would say that the the best pieces of advice were probably like career related. I would say that he was telling me to, you know, ask questions. And I'm kind of a shy person <laughs> when uh you first meet me. So it really helped to hear him say that. And he was saying that everyone is, is so great and such a great resource that, you know, you can ask anybody who works here if you have a question and they will be happy to give you an answer if they have one. So um, that was, it seems like a really simple piece of advice, but to me it really helped because I felt like, oh, okay, so it is okay to ask questions and not know exactly how everything works. and to learn. Um, so I would say career-wise, that was probably the best piece of advice. And then work-wise, just, I don't know if there was any one thing in particular, but just when I would show him like a background that, that I was working on for the show, and then he would, you know, tell me, um, maybe if you worked on this part, or maybe if you like worked on your values for this area. Um, and, and, uh, one thing that I think helped me a lot was he was talking about fading stuff in the background because for TV animation, you want your characters to stand out. You want the characters in the stage that they're going to be acting in to be very visible. So things behind them, you might like if there's a, a forest behind them, stuff that's behind them, you might kind of want to give it a little bit of atmosphere to kind of fade it back a little bit. So that way you can create depth in your piece and you can give the characters room to act and do the hilarious things that they're going to do. That is really good advice. And I want to know too, since you were in the program and you had a chance to do various things while you were there, did you specify, I would like to be a background painter? Or was that more of they saw that you were really good at that or did you get to do different things? Like how did you get to basically, how did you end up becoming a background painter? Uh, it was, um, I have a really big love for two things and it's hard because they're, they're pretty different, but I love them both equally. So I love painting backgrounds. I think that bringing the backgrounds to life by adding color and light is just one of my most, it's, it's so much fun. It's, it really makes the piece feel finished and um, you can see the animation almost coming to life with the backgrounds. And I love that. And I also, I love characters. I, I, I do. I love drawing characters, but I would say that for Pig Goat, um, it was just kind of a lucky thing that they had an opening for a background painter at the time when I was in the Nick Artist program. So I did get to try um, like doing some props um, for Pig Goat, but ultimately there was a position open for one of the things that I sincerely love so much. So I jumped at it because <laughs> I... I, I love both of them, and to me, I can't go wrong. I, I, I just like a lot of different things in art, 
and uh, painting backgrounds is, is so much fun to me. So they had a position open and I just kind of snuck in there. <laughs> That's fantastic. And also you mentioned something too, which I thought was interesting that you mentioned there's like a weekly social media post. And so I was wondering, so with that, did you guys basically get to say, you know, here's one of the backgrounds that I did for Pig Goat or how did that work? Did they just say, hey, can you just create something fun for this week? Um, so at the very beginning, when we first got into the program, the amazing women who ran the program, Amber and Karen, they they were talking to us about the social the social media and they wanted to have every week to have us do one day of the week, we would be posting something to the social media for the Nick Artist program. But we, they wanted it to be kind of um, a theme running throughout the program for each one of us. So we got to brainstorm and come up with things that we would want to do every week during the program. And so one of the things that I've, I've always thought is really fun is when you draw a random shape and then you try and create something out of that shape. Because I think that when you do that, it kind of gets you outside of the box of your normal thinking. So instead of just drawing uh, something that you that you know, it's in your visual memory bank and you know how to draw a character that looks like this. If you have a shape already there, gets you to kind of move in a different direction than you maybe normally would have. And you can come up with some really interesting things. So I I showed them that idea that I had to do a shape challenge and they really loved it. Like because then not only would it be a social media post for me to do every week to show kind of just be like, hey guys, I'm here. And the but also it gave such a great opportunity for people who were following the Nick Artist page to participate. And it was way better than I ever imagined it was going to be like so many people participated and were drawing things for the shape challenge and it was so much fun and there were so many talented people I would draw something and then I would see everybody else's creations and I'm thinking dang you guys are showing me up like these are so creative (laughs) (laughs) these are so good and it was just really fun. And it was amazing to get to see how many people just loved doing the challenge with me. And I was really, really grateful that that's the idea that I picked because it ended up being so much better than I thought that it would be. And it was funny, even there's a there was a guy, he became an, an intern at Nick, and then he eventually became a, a PA on Pig Goat Banana Cricket. And he's still at Nick now, his name's Jeff Sornig. And he he did the shape challenge. And so when he came to Nick, he like came up to me and was like, yeah, I did the shape challenge with you. And, and it was just so much fun. And to get to see like how many people enjoyed creating random things inside shapes with me. Jeff is a really cool guy. And that's a really cool challenge because I've seen that challenge and I did not know until just now that that was you that created it. So kudos to you because that was, that was really cool. I definitely can't take credit for coming up with the idea. I have, I've seen uh, things like that before where people did that. So I can't take too much credit, but it was, 
so much fun. Whoever came up with that originally is a genius. It was well, fun. We'll <laughs> you still deserve some credit there, though, because that's a that's a really good idea, and that that's really cool. And you're right; it gets people out of their out of their comfort zone and drawing in a different way. Yeah, it definitely does. I think I I drew some things that that I I surprised myself, and I really enjoyed that. So I would definitely recommend people do that and have someone else draw the shape for you because sometimes I would draw the shape myself like I would draw a little squiggle and then sometimes I would have other people draw the shape for me and it was interesting because I found the ones where other people drew the shape for me to be harder because even just something simple as a random blank shape people draw them differently so some people use a lot more angles and some people use a lot more curves and so it was definitely really fun. So you went through the artist program and then came the moment when you got hired by the studio. What was that like? It was a dream come true. <laughs> as kind of corny as that sounds, but it really was. It was so exciting and I was just thrilled that I got to continue working at Nick because I just love my time there so much. It barely felt like work because you get to hang out in this amazing building that's so much fun and there's toys everywhere and and I just feel so lucky because what office has toys all over the place and colorful paintings on the walls and and the people are amazing and and nice and talented and get to do what you love for a living it just it was amazing so I definitely accepted the offer (laughs) very good and now getting more into the the technical and the artistic side so for you know people out there that they want to be background painters or maybe this is even the first time that they've realized oh this is an avenue of animation that I didn't know anything about. You know, you mentioned atmosphere and fading and color. What are some other techniques or tips that you recommend for people that want to, you know, pursue that aspect of the field? Yeah, it's really funny because you mentioned that, like, if they did, if someone listening didn't even know that that was a part of animation, I didn't for a long time. Um, I also didn't realize that for most shows on TV at least the layout artist and the background painter are two different people. So um the background painter will paint the layout that the layout artist drew. And so I would say if you want to be a background painter, layout or or paint um and you want to work in TV, I would just suggest painting backgrounds that could be used in a show. So what I mean by that is I love illustration. I love illustration so much. And I've done children's book illustration and it's one of my most favorite things. But for TV, it's a little bit different because you don't have characters in it. So it's just the stage for the action to happen. So maybe for your portfolio, you might want to create some of those um, stages in a way where maybe you don't have any characters in them. And if you design a room, 
let's say you have a character and you decide that this character is a kind of, maybe it's a giraffe and this giraffe is kind of messy. So now you can create this room for this giraffe character of yours and they're kind of a slob. So what would a slobby room for a giraffe look like? What kind of things would be in that room? Because I think that backgrounds are really interesting because they can tell things about the character and about the story without you even having to say anything because you just see it. So what would this giraffe have? Would he have like a pile of chewed up leaves on his desk that he hasn't thrown away? I don't really know what giraffes do, but (laughs) Um, they walk around looking cool and they eat. That's probably pretty much, yeah. (laughs) But you could design it. Maybe the bed kind of looks like trees, like the the posts of the bed kind of look like trees. And and there's maybe leaves coming out the top to form like kind of a canopy over the bed. And But maybe there's like a pile of clothes or like a backpack on the bed. And, and you can kind of like tell a lot about a character from what's in the background. So I would recommend making these stages so you could have this room for this character And then even showing that room in different lightings, because a lot of times in background, you're going to need to paint the room in different lighting situations or the the scenery. So it might be daytime in the beginning and then nighttime at the end of the episode. And so you need to show that same background. How would it look in the day? How would it look at night? So maybe you could paint the room in the morning. And then what does it look like at night? Maybe they have like a laptop on their desk or, you know, um, maybe they have a reading light on and you can kind of show different lighting examples of the same area. And I think that's a really good thing to have in your portfolio because um, you definitely would have to do that as a background painter. So it's great to show an art director that you definitely know how to do that. And what would you use for inspiration so that, you know, you could stay fresh and, you know, create different backgrounds every time and not just go, Oh, we did this similar. Let's just do this. Like, did you have, you know, are there certain places you like to go or certain books you like to read that just, you know, helped you with your process for that? I would say going places helps me the most personally. I love looking at books and I have a shelf full of art of books and those are always fantastic and There's so much inspiration on the internet that you could never stop looking (laughs) if you wanted to. But I think that going out and seeing the world is a really great thing for me. Um, I say that because I haven't, I'm not a well-traveled person. And I recently had the opportunity to go to Australia and just seeing uh, a city in another, on another continent it was such a great experience just getting to see different architecture and different weather and different lighting and, and even like the clouds kind of seem different than LA and, and it was just a great experience to get to see that. And so even if you can't travel across the globe, you could go a couple towns over or a county over and I would recommend plain air painting or sketching because it's such a great exercise to to paint what you're actually looking at instead of like from a photograph and 
I think for me, definitely seeing things is really inspirational because you can see like, how does lighting play with different textures and different atmospheres and what does it look like at night or during the day? And um, I think that for me, that's, that's the best thing. Awesome. That's very good to know. And then what is the timetable like for a production? How much time did you typically get to do backgrounds and also do revisions before, you know, the episode had to be ready for animation? I think that the number of backgrounds that you do probably changes from show to show because certain shows like Pig Goat Banana Cricket was such a fun show to work on because they went to some crazy places. I remember one episode that I worked on, I painted a snowstorm, I painted the desert, and I painted the moon, and it was all for one episode. Like, nice. In this episode, they were in a snowstorm on a beach and went up in a rocket ship up to the moon. So they went to a lot of different locations and it was really fun because I got to paint a bunch of different places but there are certain shows where they might not go to as many locations so you might not have to paint quite as many different locations per episode so for Pig Goat we had about a month to do an episode and there were we had four background painters and there were two of us on an episode so Two of us would be working on one episode and two were working on the next episode. So we had about a month to do an episode between the two of us. And it kind of varied the number of backgrounds for it. But I would say probably 40 to 50 backgrounds. I I might be wrong about that. But um, you'll definitely have like deadlines with your art director. And if you're ever concerned that a timeline seems too short or you might need more time, always like talk to your art director and, and see if there's anything that can be done with maybe hiring like a freelance person or or something. Just uh, don't be afraid to communicate if you are struggling uh, to keep up. And how did you adjust your workflow so that you could be part of the organizations? Because you mentioned, you know, this is your your first time in a studio, first time on a show, I imagine that must have been an adjustment. How did you figure out, okay, this is my workflow. This is, you know, how long it takes me to do certain things. I think that actually did take me a little bit of time um, just to kind of figure out, you know, when I think this might happen on like every new show, but every show is going to have a totally different style. So, uh, you might need a little bit of time to kind of adjust to, okay, how does this show handle, you know, metal or how does this show handle daytime lighting or what kind of colors do they use? What's their color palette? And it takes you a little bit of time to kind of adjust. But the great thing about working on a show is that unless the show is like just starting up, there is a lot of stuff you can reference. So you can look back at past shows and, and, for Pig Goat, it was a very warm color palette. So I, I would like look back at old episodes and how do they paint certain environments. And it was a very warm palette. Like all the grays were kind of a little bit green. And uh, even the sky, it looks blue, but it's definitely a, more of a green blue because it's just a warmer color palette in general. And so there's uh, lots of great stuff that you can look at. And 
figuring out how to work with with your timeline and and how to make sure that you're keeping up as much as this is hard to hear it's probably a little bit of a trial and error process that I think that for me I definitely feel like I'm a slow I feel like I'm a slow painter I I I probably am faster than I feel <laughs> but I I don't feel extremely fast and so I definitely struggled with that and for me I think the thing that became freeing was I was kind of struggling with feeling nervous that I wasn't going to be able to keep up was realizing that a painting or or a design no matter what it is you could edit it forever you could probably tweak it until the end of time if given the opportunity but when you have a deadline um you know you can't do that so there's a certain point where you go it's done and that seems kind of like a silly concept i guess um but for me it was really helpful because feeling like nervous that i wasn't going to be able be able to keep up realizing that at a certain point you just call it done that you could still tweak more things but that's always going to be true and this is done and just getting up the courage to stick it in the finished folder for your art director to review and doing that regularly I actually think helps to get faster because then you realize oh done going in the folder and just checking every single one off that you that you get by not kind of noodling it I guess in a way and sort of Tweaking it too much and continuing to rework it is better for TV because while we want to do our best work, there's probably a point where you're making changes that maybe aren't really necessary at that point. Like you're just kind of nervous to call it done. So I think for me, that was the biggest thing for scheduling wise is realizing at a certain point the piece is finished and you just stick it in the folder. And I think that just for output wise, you can judge it based off of, you'll get a bunch of shots and some are establishing shots and then some are a closer up shot or a medium shot. You probably want to start with the bigger ones. So for the bigger shots, which I'm sure a lot of your portfolios out there, that's what primarily your portfolio is full of, is full of establishing shots, which are beautiful, so much fun to work on. But those definitely take the longest. So you can feel better about my 40 to 50 per episode number if you think about the fact that most of those are not establishing shots. Um, so establishing shots are only going to happen at the beginning of a scene or if they change locations. And so you won't have as many of those. So I start with those because if I get those big ones out of the way, then I already feel better. Like I already feel like it's a more manageable amount of backgrounds to do because those big ones are done and then the little ones really don't take up nearly as much time and like on pig goat we would have blur pans or um burst cards so like if a character was running the background behind them would just be blurry so we would paint these blur pans and so those counted towards our backgrounds that we had to do but they were really fun and didn't take very long at all so I would say just work with your biggest backgrounds first and get those out and finished, and then uh, you will definitely be fine. Excellent. That is really, really good advice. 
And so now I'm wondering too, so, you know, you got to go through the artist program, which is fantastic. And then you were hired on the show. And then as the show was ramping down, how did you adjust? How did you start to put feelers out there for future projects and for freelancing? I feel like this kind of gets into networking a little bit. And so the thing about networking that I got all wrong before I got into the industry and, and how I thought of networking is that I thought of this some formal thing where you go up to people and you're like, well, hello, I am Mallory and it's great to meet you. And it's not really like that. Networking is just making friends with people. So you will do that naturally at a studio and you will meet tons of people and you will make great friends who are amazing people. And then to be honest, the networking just kind of happens. So a lot of the putting feelers out there is just getting to know people within the industry, which is why it's also a good idea to use social media. Because if you happen to be not in the industry yet, and you are looking to make these connections, and perhaps you don't live in LA, and you want to make these connections with people, things like Twitter are a really good way to do that. And just talk to people, like just make friends. You know, if they're talking about a show and you happen to watch that same show, you can talk to them about it and network. So after Pig Goat ramped down, I kind of just got a couple opportunities because of people that I had made friends with within the industry. But also another really great way is to email recruiters. They know all the all the jobs and all the available positions open. So Definitely find out who the recruiter is for a certain studio if you want to work there and send them an email with a link to your work. And if you haven't heard from them in a while, then a month goes by, like email them again and just say, oh, I have some new work in my portfolio and here it is. And that's another really great way to do it too. So those are probably the things that that I would do. Awesome. And... Also, though, the other one of the other things you did too was you exhibited at CTNX this year, and that's something I that did. yes, it was very nice. It was actually very nice to meet you in person and get a yeah, it was to so nice to meet you. Yes, very. <laughs> but thank you, thank you. And so I was curious as well because a lot of people, you know, they hear about conventions and they think, oh, I want to exhibit, but how does one even go about that? So. You know, in your case, how did you decide to exhibit at CTN and what's the process like for somebody wanting to go and have an exhibit at a convention? So the first two years that I went to CTN, I just attended. I didn't exhibit. And I would recommend if if you're going to go to CTN and you're thinking about exhibiting, if you have never attended before, I would attend the first year just because... It would be kind of overwhelming to have never been there before and then attend because it's a really big convention. It seems to get bigger every year. <laughs> um, <is> and, <laughs> and so I would probably go one year and just attend and see all the artwork and just buy too much stuff like I do every year um, and just observe all the beautifulness around you. So I would just go and take that in. And then if you're interested in exhibiting, I say you should definitely look into it because you don't have to be a person working in animation in order to exhibit. If you just want your portfolio to be seen by more people, you can apply to be an exhibitor and 
you know, have a table with maybe just your portfolio out. Like there's some people who aren't even selling things. They just have their portfolio available for people to look at. So the first year that I did it was this last year, 2015. And I just went to the website and I just kind of kept an eye on it. And Twitter helped me with that because a lot of people were talking about when the signups were going to open up for CTN. So if you have a Twitter and are following people in animation, you might see people talking about it when the signups happen. And then you just go to their website and sign up and you have to put a link to your portfolio and then someone will go and check out your link and then email you back about your status. The only thing is that there are a lot of people who do apply for tables. So if you happen to not get a table one year, again, like I said before, just don't give up and like try again the next year and apply again for a table. But it's a really great opportunity to meet so many people because when I attended, like I said, I'm kind of shy. So I would go up to people's tables and talk to them and, and I would talk to people in lines for different workshops or portfolio reviews. But I was kind of nervous to talk to people, but when you're at a table, people just come up and talk to you. So you get this opportunity to chat with so many awesome people and, and just talk about art. And it's just amazing getting to be in a room with so many people who love what you love. And so if you're thinking about doing it, head to their website and just see if they have any information about signups for the next year. And if you see they open up, definitely apply. You bring up a really good point, which I want to go back to, because you mentioned, you know, that you're more on the shy side. And a lot of artists tend to be either on the shy or the more introverted side. But, you know, we still need to work with people and talk with people. So are there any tips or techniques that you've used so that, you know, you can feel more comfortable when you're meeting artists and talking with other people? Yeah, definitely. I am a complete introvert and shy when I'm first getting to know somebody for sure. But I think the thing that helped me not feel so shy is actually getting to be at a table at CTN because um, I had people, some people like ask me for portfolio reviews. And so I reviewed their portfolio and was talking to them and giving them feedback. And I'm going to tell you right now, I was nervous giving the portfolio review. <laughs> so that actually kind of helped me because it made me realize that the people behind the tables and the people within the industry are just people and they're probably nervous too. And it was really funny because I talked with, with somebody who was on the interview panel for the Nick artist program. And they told me that they're nervous interviewing the finalists for the Nick Artist Program. And that seemed hilarious to me because I was nervous being interviewed, but they were also nervous doing the interviewing because we're all kind of shy artists. And <laughs> so if you just think about it that way, that we're all kind of art nerds, that it's, it's really not too bad. And, and everyone's super nice in the industry. That is good advice. And I've heard, I've heard that, that people are like, I'm nervous too. It's like, really? But you're so great. I think that's the thing that amazes me the most is meeting your heroes and finding out that they're nervous and shy too. And you realize, <laughs> but how? You're so amazing. How could you be nervous? But you're right. It's because they're people. Yeah, exactly. And unless they're some great 
public speaker, they're probably not really used to uh, giving. So if you go to like a talk at CTN, like a workshop, unless they do it all the time, they might not be used to talking in front of big groups of people. So they're probably nervous. <laughs> and yeah, we're, we're all just people. That is fantastic. I'm so glad to, to hear you say that. So, so now you're working on great freelance project. And in the future, well, I know we'll find out more about it and that will be really cool. And in the meantime, do you have any personal projects that you're now working on? Or do you have any future goals of other books or shows or movies or such that you'd like to work on? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I am. I did some freelance for Cartoon Network. And then I'm going to be starting up doing some freelance for another project. But I think it's really important to always try as much as you can to have time set away for personal work. Because at the end of the day, no matter how much you love your job, and, and I, I love my job, I love creating art, I love painting and drawing, and it's just a dream come true to get to do that for a living. But it's still somebody else's vision. So I think to really keep your internal artist happy, you should make sure you make time to do personal work. And I think that's actually one of the biggest struggles that I have I've had because when you do art full time, you can be kind of tired sometimes and maybe pulling out a sketchbook at the end of the day doesn't sound as appealing and you just kind of want to veg out and watch some Netflix. But I think that it's really important to try and keep personal projects and personal work going because it'll keep those creative juices flowing and it's something that you get to create and you get to be in charge of everything about it. You're the art director for your own personal project. And so I have an idea for an animation, like a short one that I want to do. I say that hesitantly because I... I've never really animated before. <laughs> and also, I have no idea how long it's going to take me to actually complete it. So um, if you're listening to this and it's been a while and you've still never seen it, it could be that I'm still working on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, stay tuned, folks. It's, it's kind of... <laughs> I, uh, I tried to give myself a couple limits because I, since I know that I haven't really ever had experience doing something like this for myself before. So I gave myself a couple limits to hopefully make it easier, but we'll see how it goes. But I actually have like a lot of ideas for personal things that I would love to do. And I really recommend keeping like in your sketchbook or if you have a separate like notebook to write down ideas for things that you want to do because you might forget. So if you ever have like an inspiration, like, oh, it would be really cool to do an illustration that kind of looks like this, like write it down and just keep a list. Because the thing too, is I think that sometimes you'll be inspired by a certain thing. And maybe you get some time to do some personal work. And you look at your list of things that you've written down. And one from like a year ago just jumps out at you and you go, that one. I really want to do that right now. So having a list of, of different things that you would like to do, I think is helpful. It gives you choices for when you do have time to do personal work. Wonderful. Well, I look forward to seeing your future animated short. Sounds really good. 
far future, maybe. <laughs> oh, that's all right. But the, the, the key, though, is that it's in the future. So <laughs> one day we will all have an opportunity to see it and go, that is amazing. Oh, that's Hope, cool. Hopefully. <laughs> that's, that's the hope. All right. Well, Mallory, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find my portfolio on my website, and it's MalloryCarlson.com. And from there, I think there is a link to Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr, if I'm correct. But otherwise, my Twitter is at Mallory Carlson. My Instagram is at Mallory Carlson. But my, the only one that's different is my Tumblr is MyMalloryGallery.tumblr.com. And yeah, that's it. So you can see my work there. And that's about it. Awesome. So is there anything else that you would like to share or any burning questions that you're like, oh, but I want to make sure that the people out there know this? I want to make sure the people out there know that you're not alone. Because it can sometimes feel like that when you're working on your portfolio and you're not quite at the place you want to be yet with your career and maybe you feel a little bit behind. And I just want to let you know that there is no behind. Like everybody does things in their own way and their own pace and their own path. And you are not behind and you are not alone. And I think it's really helpful to find some people that you can connect with in that way too. So that's also why I like the Oatly Academy because everyone there is amazingly friendly and awesome. So you're not alone and just keep working and, and you're awesome. Well, Mallory, thank you so much for your words of wisdom. And thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I really enjoyed talking with you and hearing your story. Oh, thanks. I enjoyed talking with you so much too. And that concludes today's episode. Special thanks again to Mallory for being a wonderful guest and make sure to click on the show notes to visit all of her fantastic websites and to check out her work. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure to leave a review on iTunes. All of your reviews help more and more people to find out about the show. And if you would like to support the show, you can also visit www.theanimatedjourney.com and you can click on the PayPal button and make a donation. All of your donations help me to keep the show up and running. And thank you so much to everyone who donated in the past year. I really appreciate it. Also, make sure to support our sponsors, Loot Crate, Audible.com, Amazon.com, and Blueberry Podcast Hosting. When you click on the banner ads on the website, and make your purchases, a little bit of money comes back to the show. And that also helps me to keep the show up and running as well. So thank you to everyone who has supported our sponsors. They appreciate it, and I appreciate it as well. And also, a bit of news about the podcast. I'm going to be switching to a bi-weekly schedule this year. Since I'm now working at Nickelodeon, hooray! I need a little bit more time so I can get everything together for the podcast and also keep up with all of my New Year's resolutions. So thank you to everyone for listening so far, and I hope that you continue to listen in the new year. And if you want to know what else is going on with the podcast, as well as the wide world of animation, make sure to visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash The Animated Journey. 
on Tumblr. You can visit us at theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com. On Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at animjourney. And if you're interested in what I have been up to, you can check out my website, www.sketchysoul.com. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash sketchysoul. On Tumblr, it's sketchysoul.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at sketchysoul. So thank you so much to everyone for tuning in. Really appreciate it. And as always, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody. Bye.